Welcome to the Balanced Black Girl Podcast. We're putting black girl magic in motion. This show is dedicated to reinventing wellness for women of color. I'm your host, Lestrandra Alfred. Welcome back to the show. So happy you're here. I don't know if I, Les, have shared this before, but I really love podcasting. Like, I've done a lot of things over the years, everything from personal training to blogging to food blogging to food photography to all of it. I've created every type of content under the sun, but I think so far podcasting has by far been my favorite. And part of it is you, the listener, tuning in and interacting and the feedback and the community that is already formed around the show, even though it is so new, just it, it makes it fun to create content when you know that people truly appreciate and consume it. And I just feel like this show has been appreciated and consumed already more than anything I've ever done. And I'm just super grateful for it. And I'm super grateful for you not to get all sappy, but I just really wanted to make that known and put that out there that I know your time is precious, that I know that there are a million things happening that you could listen to anything. And the fact that you choose to tune in and listen to this show and be a part of these conversations is something that I do not take for granted. And I appreciate so much. So before we dive into the episode, let's get into the review of the week that says, the content of this podcast is real, raw, and unapologetic. Les and her guests bring truth to the forefront as they take on topics within the wellness community that some may not even be aware of. As a balanced black girl myself, I find this podcast to not only be a breath of fresh air, but also totally relatable. The Balanced Black Girl podcast covers all the bases, and the best part, it embraces unity amongst us. No boundaries here. There are open discussions that envelop us in awareness, but also leave us with messages of self-empowerment and good advice. Okay, Les, wear the t-shirts. I'm ready to brag about this podcast like no one's business. Thank you so much for this review. First of all, it was so beautifully stated and also decent in length and you know I know it's hard to get reviews in general because people are busy and even just getting a review that was so beautifully written and that you took the time to do I so greatly appreciate Um, and yes merch on the horizon that's one of our big goals for 2019 is to get some balanced black girl merch out there so that you all can can represent and uh, yeah putting it out there soon. So thank you for the nudge. And if you have not yet left a review for the Balanced Black Girl podcast on iTunes, please do. I know I'm here begging every week for reviews, but it really, really helps the show so much when we get reviews in. It helps people find the show. It helps iTunes rank the show higher, um, and it really helps expand our community. So thank you so much to everyone who has left a review. If you've not yet left a review, I would really, really appreciate it. 
So today I'm going to keep the intro short and sweet. Um, we're just going to jump right into it. So my guest today is Dr. Pragati Guzmano, who is a good friend of mine from the blogging world. She and I go way back. We've been blogging buddies for a while, and I was really excited to have her on the show today. She's a naturopathic doctor, um, and we're going to be talking just all about health, general health, especially for people of color heading into cold and flu season. It's the holidays. There's a lot of icky bugs going around. Talking about everyday things that we can do to keep our immune systems up and to keep our health on point because the new year is right around the corner. Ain't nobody got time to be getting sick or to be staying sick. Um, And we also, again, talk about kind of those experiences, being a woman of color in the medical field, being a woman of color in the wellness field, and, and what that has been like for her. So without further ado, enjoy today's episode. So welcome back to the Balanced Black Girl podcast. Today's guest is Dr. Pragati Cosmano. Dr. Pragati is the founder of Happy and Well and is a Florida-based functional medicine doctor. She offers her patients an alternative perspective on conventional healthcare, and her approach emphasizes identifying the root cause of illness, eliminating nutritional deficiencies, and preventing disease and illness through diet and lifestyle modifications. Welcome to the show. Thanks, Les. I'm super excited to be here with you. I'm so excited that you're here chatting with me as well. Uh, For everyone listening, we were chatting a little bit before we started recording, and we've been blogger friends (laughs) for the past couple of years, but it's our first time actually having a conversation, so I'm so happy to have you on the show. I'm super excited. Yeah. So before we jump into the questions, can you just share with our readers a little bit about yourself, kind of what you do, where you're from, and so that they can get to know you a little better? Sure. So I am... As you said, a functional medicine doctor. I have a degree in naturopathic medicine, and I live here in Orlando, Florida. Um, I lived actually in Seattle, where you are, for a few years. I did my doctorate program there. I'm also a new mom. I'm married. Um, I just have one child, but I also have three fur babies. (laughs) And I'm super passionate about lifestyle medicine, and a lot of that just comes from my personal experiences in growing up um, in a family where chronic disease is prevalent and just really understanding how important it is to prevent illness rather than treating it. Um, And so I love to share that with new moms, with anyone who's interested in really taking an active role in maintaining health and being their healthiest self. I love that. So for those who maybe aren't familiar, can you tell us what functional medicine is and how it differs from more conventional healthcare? Sure. So typically when you see a doctor, it's because there's something wrong. You have a symptom or you're experiencing something that just doesn't feel right. And in conventional medicine, the idea is to really look at that individual symptom and treat it. Um, With functional medicine, we really look at finding the root cause of disease. So what that means is looking at you as a whole person, looking at the body as more of an integrated system rather than just independent organs and medical specialties. So we see the symptom, but then we also look for what is causing that symptom rather than finding a way to cover up that symptom to make you temporarily feel better. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I think that that's, that's really, really interesting because I, 
I mean, I haven't had a ton of medical issues, but I know anytime I do go to the doctor, it is very much about treating the symptom and there isn't a lot of conversation around, well, what is causing the symptoms and how can we prevent it in the future? Right. And that may be for a variety of reasons, you know, but a lot of times physicians are also restricted um, in the amount of time they can spend with you. Mm -hmm. And so it doesn't, our current system doesn't always give patients the attention that they need when it comes to identifying what is actually wrong. Yeah. Yeah. That totally makes sense. And what made you want to practice functional medicine? So um, in undergrad, I was pre-med and I looked at, you know, conventional medicine and I started to really realize that there was this pill for this and that mentality, meaning, um, you know, you have this symptom, you take this pill, it fixes that problem. And that's totally necessary in some situations. And I respect that form of medicine. But what it never really addressed was the why, you know, why am I sick and how do I fix this? Mm-hmm. And then more personally, my dad has struggled with lifestyle related diseases my entire life. So that's hypertension, type 2 diabetes, high cholesterol. And then last year, um, he underwent open heart surgery. So he had a quadruple bypass. Mm-hmm. He made it through okay, but he lost total function of his kidneys. So he is on dialysis for the rest of his life. And what really boggles my mind is that these are all lifestyle preventable illnesses. So his physicians just never really addressed the lifestyle components of his conditions. And that's really where my fire and my passion for this philosophy and this way of, you know, practicing medicine and treating patients really comes from. Yeah. Yeah. I think that that's such a, that's such a good inspiration behind this. And I mean, looking at those diseases, I mean, those are some of the leading, you know, causes of illness in this country that are all preventable. And I know we probably are all connected with someone who is impacted by those same ailments. Right. I mean, they're prevalent, they're common. Chronic disease is probably the number one killer of people in this country. And Mm -hmm. they're all preventable lifestyle diseases. Yeah. So do functional medicine doctors kind of work in tandem with a patient's primary care physician? And how does that dynamic work? So absolutely. I believe that healthcare is totally multifaceted. You know, if you have a condition where you require a specialist, you're seeing a number of different physicians, right? A functional medicine doctor is going to be a specialist in a way too. So it's really about respecting the patient's wishes when it comes to care and then also providing the best type of information that I can to that patient. I always stress the importance of working with the prescribing doctor if I'm introducing a new treatment plan. And I think that it's really the patient's responsibility to get their care team on board. So I'm available to you just as your other doctors are, but mm-hmm. get us all on the same page and tell us what you you know, what you want out of this. Yeah. It is patient autonomy, you know, you deserve options when it comes to care, especially when the standard of care doesn't fit your lifestyle, your belief system, or it just isn't what you wanted, you know. Maybe you don't want a pill to control your blood sugar, and you really just want to learn about how you can change your lifestyle to get your blood sugar under control. So that's where I come in. I believe that any physician, no matter what their specialty would be on board with a patient who wants to put the work in because it is work, right? It's much more work to make those changes. But if your patient is willing to do the work and you have someone there who's willing to guide them, I believe that everyone can work together to make that happen for the patient so that they can have the best possible outcome. Absolutely. Absolutely. 
And who would be a good candidate to work with a functional medicine doctor? Anybody who is looking to take a whole person approach to healthcare. So what I love most about my job is helping people be their healthiest, so preventing illness. And in some ways, this is a unique concept when we think about healthcare because really healthcare is sick care. You know, you see the doctor when you're sick. Mm-hmm. But what if we all took the time to work with a doctor to stay well, you know, to optimize our health, to find out what nutrients we need, to, um, you know, fix our hormones if they're out of balance, to look at what dietary changes would make us feel the best. And if we did that, we would probably all be healthier as a whole. Um, So those are the types of patients that I typically see. But then on the other side of that, there are also those patients who have a diagnosis and who are dissatisfied with the conventional treatment options. If you're that type of patient, then functional medicine is also for you. Mm -hmm. There are so many people who walk into functional medicine practices because they are at the end of the road, meaning they have tried everything that conventional medicine has to offer them and they have not found relief. They have not improved and they just don't feel better. So there's two sides. You want to stay healthy, you want to be your healthiest, or you just want answers and we can help any of those patients. Yeah, definitely. And kind of anywhere in between. (laughs) Anywhere in between. There's a full spectrum. Yeah. And so this show is really focused on promoting and having discussions around wellness and well-being for women of color. Um, So in your practice, have you seen any particular ailments or symptoms that tend to impact women of color at higher rates than other groups? And if so, what are some of these conditions and how can we alleviate them? Okay, so like I said before, lifestyle disease is pretty much killing everybody. Mm -hmm. It's a really big problem. The leading cause of death among African-American women, Latino women, Asian women is heart disease, cancer, and stroke. So I really want to focus on heart disease because it impacts, you know, two out of three of those conditions and can really be managed by lifestyle modifications. Yeah. So when we talk about being heart healthy, what does that mean? So being physically active, mm-hmm. maintaining a healthy weight, taking a look at your diet, eating well, um, keeping your cholesterol levels in check, your blood pressure down, your blood sugar levels in check, and then also not smoking which is not something I typically see very much of anymore. And I'm super grateful for that. That is terrible for heart health. Yeah. Um, And then when it comes to diet, the Mediterranean diet is something that I always like to talk about because there's so much good research that supports the Mediterranean diet and heart health. Um, You know, it's associated with lowering your bad cholesterol numbers and this LDL cholesterol that goes up when you have heart disease actually causes plaque to build up in the arteries and this hardening of the arteries is what causes heart disease. So if you can prevent that just by eating well, you're doing yourself so much good. Yeah. So further than that, like we look at healthy adults and healthy adults that were following the Mediterranean diet had a reduced risk of death from cardiovascular disease and a reduced risk of death overall. So that's pretty amazing. Mm-hmm. They also saw reduced incidence of cancer, Parkinson's disease, Alzheimer's. And then when we talk about women specifically, if they were incorporating extra virgin olive oil and mixed nuts into this diet, they also saw a reduced risk of breast cancer. Wow. Isn't that amazing? Yeah. And I also love that you mention 
adding things to your diet. So add olive oil and mix nuts right. to your diet, which is like the easiest way to make diet modifications as opposed to right. focusing on all the things you can't have. Exactly. So that's a really important point you bring up. So for a lot of people, it can seem very overwhelming to make these changes because it's taking away a lot. Mm -hmm. So you really want to focus on the good things that you can add in. And even if it's adding in those good things, as you slowly start to take away the other things or start to replace the other things. Yes, exactly. So from your perspective as an FMD, if a woman wanted to maybe make three super simple lifestyle changes to improve her overall health, what do you recommend she start with? The simplest advice that I give everyone is to just start. Mm, love you don't it. need a gym membership. <laughs> you yep. don't need a soul cycle class. You can start by walking around your neighborhood. And, you know, a lot of times I think people forget that just walking is considered exercise. Mm -hmm. Just moving your body is really good for you. You don't have to buy expensive superfoods. You can go to the grocery store. You can shop the perimeter. So focus on your veggies, your fruits, your whole grains, fish and poultry. These are all part of the Mediterranean diet. Mm -hmm. And they're all things that you typically see when you go to the grocery store. It's not really changing where you have to shop. You know, I'm not telling you to go run and find a Whole Foods and spend all your money there because you don't have to do that to really be healthy. Yeah. And if you like to eat out, which is definitely something that I see a lot of, you know, there are people who are afraid to cook because they didn't grow up in a kitchen with their mom or they don't know how to cook, um, you know, take small steps. So find a recipe that looks manageable to you and go for it. That's all you can really do. I think, I think if you just start, that's the only way to get better. If you just pick small things that you can change little by little, those are going to bring you the most success. Don't put too many big changes on your plate all at once because you'll get overwhelmed. You won't be able to maintain it and then you'll feel like you failed when you don't maintain it. So doing little things gives you that motivation to move forward and that feeling of success when you've really mastered one of those little things. Oh, for sure. All about building that momentum. Mm -hmm. And I actually love that you brought up the point of challenging yourself to find new recipes to try at home and, and cooking more at home because I, re I read a study recently and I'll have to find it and link it in the show notes. But basically on average, the study found that adults who cooked more at home, and that's across income levels, across food access levels, had lower instances of the same health problems that we were talking about and were mm -hmm. more likely to be a healthy weight than those who ate out more often. And that's like, regardless of income level, regardless of food access, I thought that that was super interesting. So That is super interesting. And it, it, you know, it makes a case for just taking that step and jumping in. And especially now with all the resources that are available and free resources at that, like just yeah. hop on the internet and find a recipe. If you have a crock pot, you can start there. If you've never roasted vegetables, you could start there. You know, just little things in small increments that can add up to really big changes that are super impactful when it comes to health and wellness. For sure. So at the time that we're recording this, we're heading into the holidays. Um, we're heading straight into cold and flu season as well. Yes, we are. <laughs> yep. Best time of the year. Um, so what are some things that we can do to boost our immune systems and stay healthy going into the holidays? 
So my top three recommendations would be first and foremost to boost your antioxidant intake and that is through eating fresh fruits and vegetables. They are loaded with antioxidants and these are super important because they protect your cells from damage. Um, when we neutralize free radicals that cause damage, we actually enhance the immune defense that your body has and lower the risk of disease. So the ones you want to focus on are beta carotene, vitamin C, and vitamin E. And you're going to find these in colorful fruits and veggies, especially the purple, blue, red, orange, and yellow ones. So look for your veggies that have those colors. We are terrible at eating purple, so I always <laughs> encourage people to eat purple vegetables because they are packed with antioxidants and they're super good for you. Um, those specific antioxidants, so the beta carotene, vitamin C, and vitamin E can actually be protective against infections caused by bacteria, viruses, and parasites, mm -hmm. which are exactly what you want to stay away from during cold and flu season. Totally. The next one would be vitamin D. So you're in Seattle. How much sun exposure are you getting this winter? Ooh, you know, usually not a lot, but surprisingly, and I don't want to jinx it, it actually <laughs> hasn't been super cloudy in Seattle. It's been kind of sunny. So that is very good. <laughs> very good for you. Yes. But if you are someone who is getting very little sunshine in the winter months, if you're further from the equator, um, if you have a darker skin tone, these are all things that will affect your vitamin D levels. Mm -hmm. And women of color specifically have vitamin D deficiencies because even when we are exposed to sunlight, we are not as effective as at converting that vitamin or that sunshine into vitamin D. Mm -hmm. um, and it takes us longer exposure to sunlight to actually get enough vitamin D from the sun. Oh, so know that. That's really keep important. that in mind. Yeah. Um, and then vitamin D receptors, those are on our immune cells. And these immune cells are the ones that actually recognize those pathogens that come in and make us ill. When we're deficient, we have an increased risk of autoimmunity and an increased risk of susceptibility to infection. So I always recommend a daily dose of vitamin D because it's protective against upper respiratory infections and influenza. That's, that's really good to know. And what are some sources of vitamin D that you recommend? I, I think vitamin D is a little bit harder to get from food. Is there a supplement that you like or are there some food where you can get? Yes, you're right. It is difficult to get vitamin D from food. Um, there's some available in things like egg yolk and some meats, but the best way to boost your levels quickly is through supplementation. Mm -hmm. I suggests and the research suggests um, a thousand IU per day through cold and flu season. Great. It's also really inexpensive to get your levels checked. So if you're going in for an annual or if you have a visit with your doctor coming up, you can always ask them to check your vitamin D levels just so you have a good idea of what those levels should be. Over 70 is what I always tell patients, like try to make sure that number is over 70 um, and aim for a thousand IU a day through cold and flu season. Awesome. That is great. We will also have that info kind of called out in the show notes as well for folks to reference. Yeah. And then the last thing is to get your gut right. So your gut is packed with bacteria and this bacteria is impacted by the standard American diet, by stress, by your age and by lifestyle. All of these things can cause an imbalance um, in your gut bacteria and your gut bacteria have a pretty significant role when it comes to immune response and to the immune system. 
Um, some of the big things are that they actually modulate the immune system, which means they activate it. Mm -hmm. um, they produce bactericidal substances, and those are the things that kind of kill pathogens once they come into the body. And they enhance our innate immunity. So innate immunity is your first line of defense. So it's your body's first call to action when something comes in that shouldn't be there. So enhancing that is super important during cold and flu season. And then more specifically, they found that probiotics could actually reduce upper respiratory tract infections by 47%. And the duration of these infections was reduced by two full days. So that to me is reason enough to get on a probiotic. Totally. And then when it comes to kids, they found that probiotics could reduce antibiotic use and cold-related flu absence, or school absence, rather. So keeping your kids in school, I'm sure parents can really relate to that. When you have a sick kid, you have to stay home, too. Yes. So I would definitely suggest getting your kids on a probiotic as well. Love that. Those are really, really great points. So... I would love to get a, maybe a little bit more personal with you now, okay. <laughs> um, just kind of chatting about your experience as a woman of color working in the wellness space. Um, so have you ever had any experiences where you look around and see that maybe you're the, you're the only woman of color in the room? Um, and if so, what were those experiences like? So growing up, I was the only brown girl in the room, mm -hmm. and I didn't really have any other brown friends until I was about 20 years old. So other than my cousins and my sisters, there was nobody else that I identified as like me. Mm -hmm. um, so it was very normal for me to feel like the different one in the group. Yeah. When I got to my doctoral program, I felt that there wasn't a lot of diversity there either, but I didn't necessarily acknowledge that because I was so used to being the other one and mm -hmm. to not really seeing anyone else that looked like me, if that makes sense. And I think that this is actually very largely reflective of medicine as a whole. I don't have the numbers for my specific program, but um, when it comes to practicing medical doctors in the United States, only 4.1% are Black or African American, 4.4% are Hispanic or Latino, 0.4% are American Indian or Alaska Native, 11.7% wow. are Asian, and then 48.9% are white. Mm. So it's pretty easy to see how if you're in specifically medicine, you would not necessarily see people who look like you or identify as you do. Yeah. And only recently have I really started to recognize the sound of different voices. Mm -hmm. And for a long time, that was lost on me. And I think it was just because I assumed this is how it is. And it's always been this way for me. So now that we're kind of really talking about diversity and wellness and medicine, I love hearing the voices of other women of color because they definitely bring a different perspective to wellness. Absolutely. Our ideas and, under, you know, our ideas of understanding wellness and understanding health, they're undeniably shaped by cultural norms and the ways that we are raised, right? Yep. So if we don't hear those voices and we don't listen to those voices, then we are really diminishing our true understanding of health and wellness because wellness is not a one-size-fits-all approach. And if we just hear that one voice or we just see that one person that looks a certain way, we might think that we don't fit because it doesn't sound like or look like the things that we thought that we knew. And so to me, that's really the real danger of not having diverse voices in wellness and in health because everybody needs to feel like they can connect. And the first thing that I think 
we need to do is be aware that there are different voices and there are different experiences in order to make those connections. Absolutely. And I'm sure that that's really huge, especially in medicine. If you have patients who maybe don't feel heard or don't feel understood, right? maybe from a cultural perspective or from, you know, the foods that they eat that are maybe traditional to them or, you know, whatever it is, that plays a huge role in, in being able to be aware of that, I would imagine, is, is really Absolutely. significant. You have to have, you have to have the ability to if even if it's not your voice, you have to have the ability and the openness to understand that there are other voices that come from different places yeah. and that it may not be as easy for one person to make the changes that another person can take be, can make because of their cultural differences, their ethnicity, their background, where they come from, how they were raised. Those are all factors. Absolutely. Oh, I love that you brought that up because I think it's something that is not talked about nearly often enough. It's not. And I think that, you know, women like you are really pushing that into the wellness space. And it's a very, very important thing to have happen because, you know, you can tell by the numbers, there's huge differences, you know, in just being aware that there are women in the space of color who have a different voice, who have a different perspective is super important. Yeah. Well, thank you. And I, I, Think that you're doing the same. So I'm so glad that you're here. <laughs> and for you, you are super busy. So <laughs> in addition to being an FMD, you are a wife, you are a mom to the cutest baby boy. Um, what are some self-care practices that you swear by to ensure that you also take care of you? So to be really honest, I based on the Instagram standards of self-care. <laughs> the official been, seal. <laughs> right. Like the official Instagram standards. <laughs> I have been terrible at self-care since my son was born. And it's just sort of evolved into this thing where taking care of myself involves taking care of him. So to me, this means things like taking a walk with him after work because it's something I can include with you know him in when I'm away from him all day. Yeah. It means setting aside time to cook dinner, trying to sleep when I can, because these three things are really the things that help me feel like I'm taking care of myself. So Mm -hmm. getting in physical movement, getting in food that nourishes my body and getting sleep. Those are like my three big things. And if I can focus on those things, then I, I feel pretty good. Um, It's also a matter of prioritizing, you know, with having a job, having a child, having a husband, it's really about focusing on what makes me happy and makes me feel good and really giving myself time to disconnect from social media, from work, from the internet, um, to really connect with my family and to rest when I need it. Yeah. I have to say no a lot. <laughs> like I'm sure you understand that. Like sometimes you just can't do it, but that's what I have to do for self-care. So it's definitely not perfect. Definitely days where I am dead tired because I woke up with my kid and I was up all night (laughs) and I haven't cooked anything and I'm eating canned soup or frozen pizza. But the idea is that there's always tomorrow to be better. And so I try to focus on what I can do today to make myself feel good, feel well. And then if it's not a perfect day, which it typically is not, there's always tomorrow to do better. Totally. And I mean... I think that's something everyone can relate to is no one's days are perfect and right. <laughs> you do the best you can 
with what you have. And I also really, really appreciate that you said saying no is a big part of your self-care practice because I think for all women, but especially women of color, saying no is the hardest, (laughs) can be the hardest thing sometimes because, you know, we do so much for so many other people. It's totally hard and it can feel very uncomfortable, but you sometimes just have to remember that you have to prioritize and prioritizing your health and your wellness and your sanity really does come first. Absolutely. Because if you don't have that, then you kind of have nothing to give to anyone else. Exactly. Yeah, that there's nothing left. And so another topic that has definitely been on my mind lately that I would love to get uh, your opinion on, it's something that I talked about in one of my first podcasts a few episodes ago. It's just around um, kind of cultural appropriation in the wellness space and what that looks like. And I know we before kind of joked about the Instagram standards of self-care, which are right. Think are hilarious, uh, and but however, I do think that with social media, specifically with Instagram, there are a lot of things or a lot of practices that are made trendy, um, right. where influencers with the best of intentions will kind of learn about a practice and take it and run with it without fully understanding maybe the cultural significance of what they're doing or what they're promoting or without maybe getting the insights from someone who better understands those practices. Have you seen that in the online wellness space? And what do you think people can do to maybe be a little bit more respectful of those practices? So I can name probably like five things off the top of my head that drive me (laughs) crazy, but you are so on point with this. Like there are so many practices that I see on Instagram that just make me roll my eyes a little bit because I want to say, hey, do you know where that came from? Or do you know why you're doing that? One of the big ones I can touch on right away is golden milk. Mm. Golden milk is an Ayurvedic practice that has been around for thousands of years and has recently become really popular in the Instagram space and in the wellness space. And it is because it's, you know, a really amazing thing to drink and it does benefit the body, but a lot of times I see it misrepresented or misexplained and it just makes me want to say like you're taking this from a culture and you're not even giving it the respect that it deserves or properly explaining the foundation of this type of medicine or why we practice this. And so I think that there needs to be some self-awareness that people have when it comes to talking about treatments or therapies or activities that have their roots in other cultures, you know, and that's true for Ayurvedic medicine and things like making ghee, practicing yoga, traditional Chinese medicine and herbs. And, you know, now we put herbs in our coffee and we think that we're all like these really, you know, smart people who are doing these things, but this has been around for a really long time. And to not give credit to those cultures is to me, as if we're taking something away from them and not even acknowledging that it came from that place. Yeah, absolutely. And I had someone ask me a similar question recently of, okay, well, what should people do? Should they not post about those things? And what does that look like? And I, I would love to get your take on that. What I shared was, you know, I mean, I'm not a cultural expert on a lot of things either. And while I know that the online space is so saturated and we all just want to be heard and seen and we can kind of 
pass things off as our own, even when they're not, and that it is, it's okay to ask someone for clarification. It's okay to partner with someone who is an expert or who knows more about that topic than you and have them explain it or share references. Um, right. What would you recommend to someone who has that question? I think you're absolutely right. I think it's about, um, you know, coming from a place where like you're open to learning. So mm -hmm. if that means partnering with someone who maybe is an expert about that subject matter, then talking to them first or inviting them to discuss that topic with you or even just getting their insights on a specific thing. And you're right, everybody does want to be seen and everybody does want to be heard. And I think that being respectful um, of other cultures and maybe even putting the time in to understand why we do what we do mm -hmm. is really, um, the right place to start. So if there's something that you're interested in, find out why you're really interested in that. Ask yourself those questions. Like, why is this interesting to me? Where did this come from? What is the benefit of doing this? And use that as an opportunity to teach other people if you can, or use it as an opportunity to connect with someone who can teach other people with you. Yes, I love that, that there's so much power in teaming up with other people where you can all kind of learn from each other. Absolutely. And yeah. it shows that you are really willing and open to um, acknowledging that this may not be your idea, but it is something that you believe in and something that you want to share with other people. Exactly. Exactly. I love that. Well, thank you so much for coming on the show today. I feel like I learned so much, so many actionable tips that I am excited to implement for myself and that I'm so excited for our audience to hear. Um, where can our folks keep in touch with you? So you can keep in touch with me on Instagram. That's typically my platform of choice these days since I don't have a ton of time, but I'm on Instagram at happy and well. Um, if you want more information on, for example, immune health and cold and flu season, I actually have a free series that you can sign up for and it'll give you information and then actionable tips for you and your family to kind of keep you healthy through cold and flu season. Oh, love. We will have all of that linked in the show notes because I know <laughs> everybody's going to want to take part in that series and stay healthy this winter. Thanks for having me, Les. It was super talking to you and I really enjoyed our conversation. Thank you. I loved having you. Thanks for coming on. 